Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Dave Gallegos. Today on OTV, Tommy Mulroy, a true ambassador to the game. He has been around for a while. Dave, got a great book, huh? The book is incredibly entertaining. The book called 90 Minutes with the King, How Soccer Saved My Life. Just non-stop phenomenal stories and why should people read this book because tommy is one of the reasons that soccer has its roots its foundations in the united states and he was very much a part of everything from from the cosmos to just you name it from hiking yeah. to the practices of game just a chock full of interesting stories brought a lot of great memories uh to back to for me dave and i played against tommy so it's uh so he has the gift of gab, as uh, we all do, as uh, the Irish here. And um, so it was a longer interview. So uh, we're going to get right to it. So uh, Dave and my interview with Tommy Mulroy. Check it out. All right, we're back on Over the Ball. Uh, you know, uh, this is really looking forward to this interview because this guy uh, I played against and knew some of his history, but I didn't know all of the history that uh, I learned from reading his book, uh, 90 Minutes with the King. Uh, Tommy Mulroy is joining us now, uh, sort of a, a soccer legend. I got to say, Tommy, I, I don't want to say that to your face, but I guess I am. Uh, you're quite a character. I kind of thought you were the you were the, the Rodney Marsh of the American game. Uh, oh, thanks. I was, I was no, nowhere near as good as Rodney Marsh, but I, you know, I definitely had my heart in it. Well, I, I tell you, it, it's a, it was a great it's a great read. I think it's a, a book that uh, soccer fans, soccer players, coaches, everybody should read because Tommy, you brought back so many memories for me, good and bad. Um, and you know, meaning, boy, you know, going into a soccer store and, and no soccer cleats available, no soccer balls, no people looked at you like you had two heads, and the trailblazer that you were. I mean, you're a couple of years older than I am, and so uh, you. Your was your generation was the one that really started this off. What I love about the book is it's so much about you that I didn't know. I knew mostly you playing your professional career. We played against each other, I think, when you were in Louisville. Um, but uh, boy, the, the the humble beginnings. You know, you have an amazing mother, by the way. Uh, Thank you loved, very much. Loved reading about Agnes. Um, but you were given the the keys to the kingdom. You, the secret sauce uh, by these great coaches like uh, Coach uh, Rottenbercher, I guess. Coach, yeah, Rutenbacher is his name, yeah, and, and and he couldn't pronounce it either, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just say you happened to step into this rarefied air with uh, that Cinema 45 group of players you, you played with. My God, uh, Sammy Joseph and, and uh, Ronnie Dufresne, guys I played with, but my phenomenal players. Um, so talk to us a little bit about why you wanted to write this book, a book I think is so important for American soccer people to hear. You know, a, a rich, I, I tried to actually start it like 10 years ago. And I don't know anything about writing a book. Matter of fact, I never even read a book, right? Part of the story is that I'm dyslexic and I'm not a good reader. And, and actually, one of my friends that had read the manuscript before I made the book that was helping me with it uh, said, to, you know, we got on a call for a meeting and he goes, Hey, Tom, uh, um, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, 
what happened? What's the matter? He goes, I didn't know you had those challenges. And I was right, right there with you the whole time. He goes, I, I didn't know you had a hard time reading or what, whatever it was. And, uh, but I started like 10 years ago and I, I just like started to put words down on paper and then I started, all right, this is a chapter. And, and, and I really, and then, and then as I got it down, I'd get halfway through and I'd go, no, no, I got, I got to rename the book. And then I renamed the book like 10 times and I gave up. Right. Right. And then during the pandemic, I now no long, longer, like if the light goes on in my van, I don't go to the glove compartment, take out a three inch thick book. I go right. to YouTube and I type in Toyota van. Right. And then up jumps some guy and he goes, Hey, the blue light, you know, moving up. Right. So, um, so I'm, during the pandemic, you know, we're locked in. We're trying to get our kids to train on their own through Zoom. You know what I mean? Go in your backyard right. do this. Do, yeah. do what yeah. I used to do. That the no way one it could be. Find the wall, yeah. hit the ball off the wall. Right. Right. And I went one day, I go, let me type how to write a book. So the, the first person comes up and goes, the last thing you do is worry about the name of the book. Don't worry about most manuscripts or the book isn't named till after you're done and i'm like oh my god right so then i started again and i got some help from a rick dorella who was my roommate at college in, in the book and is big in soccer runs hey. the oakwood club that plays in mls next and um yeah remember he, rick uh got me hooked up when he was at cornell see it all these dots connect somehow, like you and right. me connecting because we played against each other, right? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and yeah. we have the same friends and we remember the referees and all. So it's like a connection that I felt as I was getting older was being forgotten, like where we came from. Like like right. people think soccer started when Messi played his first game in the United States, for example, right? Right. Um and but meanwhile, all the roads that were plowed by all these really good people that didn't do it for money, right. they didn't do it for power. They did it because they loved the game, right? And that's it. Nothing else. Right. But that they loved the game. That's your editor calling right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, looking for your next book because I think you got another book in there. To... So so really, that that's where I got the inspiration because I thought people are going to forget about this. They're not going to know who Rutenbacher was, or my coach at college, Visvery, who's quite a character, was, you know, one of the original guys that did um, the coaching courses. You know, he was one of the original um, right. instructors. So I, I didn't want them to be forgotten, and I just thought that it was an important part of our game. And so uh, once I got introduced to this guy who was uh, – uh, his name was Bill uh, Summers, who – wound up editing the book, which that was another thing I didn't know anything about. First of all, when I did the book, I had no idea that you needed a budget to write a book, right? Like I had no clue that the thing would cost money. Right. And most authors don't sell a lot of books, I guess, if they're independent. And I said to one of my friends, I go, well, you know, I have this picture with me and Pele. So, you know, that should help me sell a few books, right? Like, And the guy goes, you own the rights to that? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? I'm in the picture, bro. He's like, no, 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 no. It don't work that way, right? Right, right. Not even Pele on. So I had to go to, you know, AP to buy a picture for the cover. I had to go to Getty to buy. So it was writing a book is like opening a new company, right? It's, it, it, it is a, a, in, in particular because if you're an independent, 
and you don't have a publishing company behind you, you're doing everything on your own. The name of the book is called 90 Minutes with the King, How Soccer Saved My Life. Yeah, Tom, I can't, uh, I can't begin to tell you how much I enjoyed the book. You and I have a lot of parallels. Um, I played in Oceanside. So a lot of the names, Oceanside, Long Island. So a lot of the names. Oh my God, Ronnie Antanasio, Joe Goldberg. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the stories that I can tell you, and, and actually the stories that you were just saying, I'm like, it put a smile on my face. It was just, just you know, it's kind of like you had to be there, and you were there, so it really made made me feel great. Thank you. Uh, you know, you mentioned YouTube before, and I just want to tell people that <laughs> they can go on YouTube, type in Tommy Melroy's name, and they will see. A nice, wonderful clip of him with a nice mullet and a nice mustache juggling <laughs> soccer balls on Nickelodeon. So be sure to check that out. It's uh, it's uh, it's quite humorous. But Tommy, you mentioned I mean, in the book, it's just fascinating because you mentioned so many old names: Ron Antonasio, the Rudy LaMonica tournament in Oceanside, the indoor tournament, the Metropolitan Oval, Gachi, Joe Goldberg, who was a pioneer for soccer in the states, but specifically Long Island. Then national names, Chet Messing, Diego Pesa, Bob Rigby, Ty Keogh, Werner Roth. I mean, these names, they all bring smiles to my face. It was a great read. But I want to specifically talk to you about the Metropolitan Oval. Because back in the day, uh, playing in Long Island, we were, every field was in the back of an elementary school or, or a middle school. And that was fine. No schools had turf. And then you have the Metropolitan Oval, which is in Queens on the border of Manhattan. And... We're all going to play at the Metropolitan Oval, and you get there, and it's an actual mini stadium, which nobody was used to playing in a little stadium. You get there, there's no grass. It's all broken glass, and you were excited to play there because it was a quasi-stadium. Tell me about your memories of the Metropolitan Oval. Well, the, the first time I went, I went to play. I was playing with the Spring Valley Boys team, and we were playing against um, the German-Hungarian boys, right? And people have to understand, when you play against the German-Hungarians, they were German-Hungarians. When you played yes. against the Greeks, those kids were yeah, Greek. Greek. They spoke yeah. Greek. They didn't speak English, right? And if you went to play against Colombiana in, in Queens, it was a Colombian team. They were Spanish. Everybody spoke Spanish. That's the way it was. Like, it, was, it really wasn't like, okay, you know, I'm going to put on an English shirt. I'm from England. No, no, it don't work that way. Like, you were part of that ethnic community, period. The stadiums, again, it was like a cult. It was just like when I was in high school, the only people that tried out for the team were guys that got cut from the football team, right? Like we were, like we got everything last, back of the bus, get there. Soccer is for these people that speak funny and came from somewhere else. It's it's a communist sport, Right. And, oh, it's never going to be big in the United States, right? And and I fell in love with it. And the first time at the Metro, and again, this is also hard for people to believe that are new. So we had a U-12 team. We were the first team north of New York City, Spring Valley, that had a team in the German-American League. 12 and under, I had kids on my team that were eight. I was I had just turned 12, right? We played 11 v 11 <laughs> on the Metropolitan Oval Field. Oh, field. That was 120 yards long by 70 yards wide of pure dirt, right? 
And real size goals. They're, they're and real yeah. size goals. So pretty much if you had a foul within shooting distance, how's a 10-year-old kid going to hit the crossbar? <laughs> All you had to do was chip it over his head, right? You're, yeah, it's yeah, it. Yeah. And, and you played the same formation as the men did, right? And so anyway, that was one of the memories that I have of going there and like, you know, I was in the back of some guy's car, and if I was in the with the German family, they spoke German, and we listened to German music. If I was in with a Yugoslavian family, they listened to Yugoslavian music, and they play and they talk Yugoslavian. I was the only kid that didn't know what was going on because I had an American family, right? Yeah. And and then here's another memory I have of the Metro. My coach uh, Soutner, my first coach said there's an open cup game. What open cup? I didn't know what it was. There's a men's game. It's really big. We're going to go down, watch the game at the Metro. It's on Sunday, right? So we had played on Saturday where I don't even remember at home or away. So he, he uh, I get in the car with this guy who's an ethnic soccer, you know, fanatic. And they all followed everything through the German stats paper or you followed it through your Latino paper or whatever. But the, those communities followed this because it was important. So now it's an Open Cup, which which today is the Lamar Hunt Open Cup that MLS participates in. Well, back then there was no MLS. So the top teams, really the top tier of soccer in the country was that. So we get to the stadium, and I had been there on Saturday. Is, you know, is that the McGuire – Tommy, is that the McGuire Cup? No, this is the U.S. Open Cup that that, oh, Open that, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that Lamar Hunt is now. So he's right. taking me to watch the adults play, right? So I had played there a couple weeks before. And now he's like, we're going to go back. I'm going to go. You're welcome to come with me. My mom let me go anywhere so long as I wasn't in trouble, right? And so I get in the car with the guy. We get out. And I'm telling you, you know, the Metro, like if there was such a thing as like, a fire marshal there, and you're only allowed a certain <laughs> amount of people. Let's say, for the sake of argument, they would allow five thousand people. Let's just say, right? right? There was ten thousand people in there, right? And it was it was the Philadelphia somebody against the New York Ukrainians, whatever it was, right? Whoever it was, it was two at the this place. This was like the semifinal of the Open Cup. It was. Everything the referee did, they people went nuts. And around the Metro, they had like a bar, a metal bar set all the way around that divided you so you stepped back from the sideline. It was about four feet high. It was metal about, you know, four or five, six inches around. And it went all the way around, right? And you could get under it easy to get a ball or over it, but people would just like stand on it on the side and watch the game all the way around. And then it was packed up on top of each other. So I remember, and behind one side of the goal is like railroad ties that go, you know, a little higher, a little higher, all the way up to the top. So kind of like standing behind the way in England it used to have, like the cop in England, like where where people would run down Damn. and then run up, and right? So it was designed like that, where most people stood behind the goal because that was the biggest area, and you could see the whole thing. And it's hard for people to believe, but on the other side, especially at night, is like the nicest view of Manhattan that you can get, right? Yep. And anyway, so it's late in the game. The referee blows a whistle and points to the middle, right? Like, dude, can I tell you? And like, again, I'm an American kid. I, I, I 
I liked soccer, but I didn't understand the dude passion yet. Yeah. <laughs> he went on the field after the guy, right? He turns around and he sees hundreds of people running, right? He's in the middle. There isn't a policeman for five, right? Like, because it's soccer, no nobody cared. Yeah. So on the backside, the opposite side where the people stood was a fence, a high, like 20 foot fence, so it could stop the ball. But there was a street on the other side. And that was one of the entrances where they had a little door where you could pay to get in, right? And they had always a little hole about three feet high where it was cut open the fence. So when that gate was locked on a Saturday, like when we played, a ball, if it went over, a kid could get through. I'm telling you, the ref turned, ran, started running, realized he couldn't get out the regular gate. He squeezed through that hole. And people were lined up trying to get through to chase him down the street. And that was yeah. my first game watching an adult game in the Metropolitan Oval, right? You know, oh my God. it's great, 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 just great stories. I mean, you know, you talk about, I bring up the Metropolitan Oval because nowadays, if a, if a field isn't turfed and if they don't have two or three actual paid refs, then they think it's a travesty. But back in the day, you were happy as heck to play anywhere. So great story, Kev. Hey, so uh, interesting, Tommy. I, I hit a bicycle kick at the Oval and regretted it because I landed on a pile of glass and I had to get a tetanus <laughs> shot after there. Kind of a good, bad story. But you touch on so many things. Uh, you know, I, I identified because I was the only American in the, in the room a lot of times. And, but I learned so much about life. About I played for a Peruvian team and I learned about their culture and how passionate they were about the game. And the Portuguese were great to me, taught me the secret language. And, and the Greeks, the Germans, and, you know, you'd get a, a, a great meal and they were so warm. And you talk about these coaches who paid for stuff out of their own pockets, the passion that they had uh, for all of us to sort of spread the word about this great game, where I felt so fortunate because people didn't know what a great game it was. And, and I felt like I'm, I'm, I'm happy all these other people aren't doing it because I'm having this great experience. And I think it's it's sort of... Uh, changed my worldview about people. I, I've played with Colombians. It's not, you're not talking about some far off land. It's Colombians. They're my friends. You're talking about your Haitian friends, which you were so good to them and they were so good to you. And uh, what a group you had. To, uh, you know, reading this book, I kind of felt like that Cinema 45 group of guys you had, that's, that's not happening right now with young kids playing till the lights are turned off or till you have to come home. You know, just playing in the streets. Talk about that a little bit as as a coach. Yeah, well, I I I can't emphasize it enough. Like, you know, I had a mom have a meeting with me. I'm a director of a a, a club here, right? It's we got yeah. 500 travel kids, 1500 rec kids, and the mom's like, my son's serious. He would really. So we have this meeting. He really has gotten into it. He not only wants to try out for a high school team, he's ready. He wants to do college. He wants to be, he wants, and I'm like, okay, great. Our club, unlike a lot of clubs, he trains Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but he's welcome to train with our, an older age group on the other days. And we have goalie training on this day. And there's a special camp and, and she went, oh, but then he would have to play four days a week. She literally looked at me like she, she was like, well, when would he do his schoolwork? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. we're on the wrong What's page. That? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just on the wrong page here. Yeah. No one gets anything 
out of life that they don't put into life. You can't come three days a week, never practice, and think you're going to play, even on your high school team these days, never mind aspire to be a pro, forget it. You're wasting your time. Right. You know, so that's the mentality that we're up against. Here's the other mentality. I drive into my park. You know, we got eight fields. It's gorgeous. Like back in the day, remember the first time I went to Europe, I was in a train going to that guy Rüttenbacher's family. I was going from Vienna to Kupfenberg, where he lived. Um, and I'm in the train. And every time we'd pass like another town, there was another field with soccer goals with nets. I was like against the window of the of the train going, look at that. Right. You've never we seen that before. Soccer goals. The only goals we had were those football things. The football goals. And, and you put, put a net up. at the back for your high school team. Right? We didn't even have soccer goals. Right? So, the you know, I'd pull in every day today when I go this afternoon, I'm going to pull in and there's going to be guys doing private lessons. Trainers. And they got like an 11-year-old girl. They got two ladders laid down. They got yeah. cones with sticks through them. They got obstacle courses like, and I see these little 11-year-old girls running through a ladder. It's a big oh, business. They got a bag of balls, but there's a bag of balls on the side. The Crying. Tears, the tears <laughs> are running down the ball's face because it's not being used. And I'm saying to myself, are they going to be firemen going through those ladders? Or are they going to be soccer players? Like, right. bring the ball right. out. People have forgotten the ball. It's all about the coaching. Oh, we're, get them the – my team's going to play like Barcelona. Your team's going to play like Barcelona? Like, yeah. Yeah. your kids can't trap a bag of cement. They're not playing right. like Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Tommy, you know, uh, I, you know, talking to Dave Mazur at St. John's, you know, he played oh, with us. He's a great guy, but he was recruiting a player, and uh, the kid yelled at his mother because she forgot to bring his roller. And (laughs) he said, you know, he's like, I don't want that kid on my team, you know, because, but it it talks about what you're you're, you're referring to here. But let's let's move on to a little, some of the sexier stuff you got, too, because I could talk about the the foundations and and what you came from. Uh, It's an amazing story, uh, you know overcoming adversity with your family situation and your brother and, and all your mom had to go through. Um, love those strong Irish Catholic women. It's like my mother, she's like a Shiite Catholic for God's sakes in church all the time. But, uh, your mom gutted it out and, and made you into a, a, a good young man who went on a, a really a wild adventure in life. Um, eventually you get, you know, Ulster community college was when I was coming up, it was, rarefied air that you guys were in you had amazing teams you put out amazing players and everybody knew the reputation of ulster uh community college and then um so you played there and then you get drafted is it the toros that drafted you first the miami toros yes sir talk about that and the the nasl and how sexy and exciting it was because dave and i were on the other side of that watching you know as as young guys and um and then your experience you know going man to man again up against pele well First of all, the whole dream was I wanted to be a professional player. I made that my mind up about a year in after a coach had given me an armband, a captain, and I was like, it yeah. kind of almost, almost took me and lifted me out of trouble. Right. That leadership role that that role model gave me. 
It's, a, was, very, it's a very moving chapter where, where you write about it, you know, the reverence that you paid to that and your coach and how he, he gave that to you and you like, it really moved you. Yeah, yeah. And I w- it was at a time when I was on the road where we were sniffing glue, stealing cars. It wasn't, it was not, we were heading in a, and this just gave me a high that the glue couldn't give me, right? Right. And and it just changed everything. And then I had set the goal that I wanted to be a professional player, but forget that. I wanted to be the best player in the world, right? So in my mind, I had to outwork everybody. So I'd wake up in the morning, and I wasn't worried about making my high school team. I was worried there was a kid in Rio de Janeiro that was going to train more than I was or a kid in Berlin. Right. And I wasn't having that. Right. Like I almost could see them right on my lawn. I'm like, they're already out there. Right. Like I got to get out there and train. Yeah. Um, And so when the call finally came and the reason why I picked ulcer was this guy, Visrary, he was amazing. Right. Like, um, He played with the Pushkas, you know, Hungarian team. He he had great – and even though I know the coaches come to recruit you, he – I was recruiting the coaches. Like, most of the coaches came and I was like, that guy doesn't know anything about soccer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is where he comes. He knew way more – he forgot more than I knew, and I knew that after meeting with him one time, right? I I was like, that guy – and – he was good friends with Al Miller, who was in the NASL at the time, coaching Al. And um, I was like, he can get me to the pros. I just want the quickest way to get where I'm going. If this guy can do that, we're good. So we were playing at the national championships. And uh, I get approached by one of the a four-year school coach. At the time, it was Florida International University was – Kind of like the second two years of community college. So they lived right. in And Bill Nuttall was the coach. Bill from Dallas. Yeah. Bill Nuttall from Dallas. And US he National was the owner of Theodora. He's got another great soccer story. And he's a funny yeah. guy. He's a good guy. Great storyteller. He was Bora's boss at, at World Cup. Like he was a general manager of the U.S. Right. national <laughs> team for 94, right? And I, I was hanging out when I was a, a World Cup supposed to. And, and anyway, so Bill approaches me, right, after a game. We had just played St. Louis. And he comes up to me and goes, son, you know, I'm with, I'm the head coach at Florida International University. We saw you playing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's all music in my ear. And then when he's done, I go, my mom always said, listen, listen to everybody. I'll be respectful. And you know what I mean? And, and I was like, yeah. but really, I want to go pro. And he looks at me and he goes, well, I'm going to tell you, do you know who the Miami Toros are? And I go, yeah, because there weren't that many NASL teams, but but I knew who played against the Cosmos, my team yeah. local. Yeah, Joe, like, Robbie. Joe Robbie owned team. Joe Robbie from the Miami Joe, Dolphins. Joe Robbie owned the team, and Tim Robbie was the, the president, his son. And uh, so, so Bill says, well, uh, in addition to being the FIU coach, I'm the goalkeeper for the Miami Toros. And I'm here. That's right, Nuttall, yeah. I'm here with the head coach, Greg Myers. And he kind of points points up into the stands. He goes, he's up there. He's not allowed to approach you because you're not a, a senior in college. But you're allowed to approach him. 
Dude, I'm not sure to this day if I ever even said goodbye to Bill. I just remember standing next to Myers with my hand out going, hello, uh, mine, you know. And, I'm Tommy Mulroy. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those. Like, you know what I mean? And and uh and and that's that's kind of the kickoff of it. That that's that's how I got seen, and that was the first contact with the coach. And um Later, later on, you know, I, I was waiting for the call. You know, it's one of them. The guy says he's going to call you, and you're like, uh, do I have to go back to school for another semester of torture, right? You know what I mean? And uh, right before I was heading back up for my third semester of school, he called me, and he invited me down early because he knew I already had a coaching license, and he wanted me to do all their clinics, right? So it, it that kind of was also the beginning of me Selling the game, learning how to sell the game, because well, I, you know, I went there not just not just as a as a player, but you know, in the offseason. Look, a lot of the older guys they didn't want to go in and talk to the kids and do clinics, sign autographs. I was like, it was like an adrenaline, like yeah, let me sign an autograph. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Tommy, so I do want to fast forward a little bit to now you're playing at Yankee Stadium for the Cosmos, and now. You guys successfully get Pele out of retirement. So now you have the highest paid athlete in the world playing with you. And here you are guarding Pele. Tell us a little bit about that because obviously you're staring at this guy and you can't believe that you're actually marking this guy. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, one of the things about Pele is that he wasn't just a great player, but he was a great human. And as we talked about it in the beginning, playing with the Greeks, understanding who the Colombians were. Instead of calling them foreigners and bad people, you learn who they are. That's what our sport is, right? You know what I mean? We learn to love where they're from and why they think the way they think because they're from Peru or they're from – and that's what the sport is, and that's what he was, right? Um, My first game, not the game I covered him, but the first game of the season we played them, he was set up in the locker room, in a little room with like a security guard, and he's all the other team players could like line up and come in and get their autograph signed by a guy. Who signs the autographs of the team you're that they're gonna about to kick you all over the field? And he was just so he knew that that was what his role was on earth, right. and he took it like so well. So fast forward to the game. We're in Yankee Stadium. It's the end of the season. The first game, I didn't even get any minutes. I did ride in on a fire truck, but that was, you know, that was as far yeah. as it went that day. Well, all the all the promotional things they used to do to try to get people to the games, you know, oh, the it, soccer. It's just crazy. You can't even make it up. Like, if you ask one of the players now at Inter-Miami to do some yeah. of the stuff you and I did, yeah, they would, they, they would think, like, they'd be looking for a crack pipe. They'd be like, yeah, exactly. Get out of here. You're like, nothing. Like, <laughs> you know? And um, so I'm in the lineup. We're back in New York, and it's the end of the season. I've been getting more time. I've started here and there, and, you know, I hear my name called for the lineup. I'm like, oh, my God, this is in Yankee Stadium. The people are outside. This batters my oh, name. Boy. Yeah, <laughs> Chuck Moon on there, right? And coach gives a lineup, and he goes, look, we're not doing anything special with Pele. They got this new guy, too, this Italian guy, Chinag, Chinag, Chinaglia, whatever, right? Okay, he's supposed Chinaga. to be pretty good, too, right? 
So he goes, no, no, we're just doing a regular defense, pack in, double team, Pele, if he gets the ball. Two minutes into the game, the guy scores a goal. So we're you know, jogging back to the And I see Myers on the side, like, God, get over here, right? So I run over. He goes, forget about what we did. We're changing. You're going to mark Pele. Wherever he goes, you go. If he goes to the bathroom, go with him. I'm like, oh. I didn't even have time to get nervous. In a way, it's almost <laughs> right. better that he gave it to me then than had he said it the day before, I wouldn't have slept, right? You know yeah, what I mean? Three nights like, of sleepless tossing and turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm marking him. And, you know, someone asked me the other day, hey, what was it like, you know? And, and it was like, even to this day, it was the most interesting and educational 90 minutes ever because, you know, especially back then, unlike today, they didn't protect guys like Pele. Right. They got beat up. Yeah. They, 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 matter of fact, in some places, i.e., the World Cup in England, they went out of their way to let him get kicked. Right. right. That, was, that was part of their strategy. Yeah. yeah they get Georgie, Georgie Best and Pele. If you watch the old videos, man, they're, they're just getting kicked, you know, That's like crazy. Right. And, you know, Tom, you talk about Pele. Pele, he had that Zen like quality. He was, he was a soft spoken, sweet person. Uh, who just had this God-given talent that was beyond everything. Yeah, I mean, especially when you see some of the pictures back then when he was jumping, like, he was, guys were Wait. a foot taller than him. He was 18 five, inches seven. above them five, heading seven, the ball, right? right? You know? Um, yeah. So I turn around, I run out, I'm like, all right, I'm marking Pele, right? Like, okay, <laughs> so I got I to gotta get with the guy. And he goes, don't worry about anything else. Just don't let him score. <clears throat> so, great honor, whatever. You know, did I pull his shirt? Sure. Did I kick him? I didn't kick him not getting the ball. You know what I mean? Um, right. if, if I knocked him down, I picked him up. He picked me up. He knocked me down a couple times, right? No, you know, um, there was one, one, one time when we were uh, in front of the – by. We're, there was about to be a corner kick, and it was right where the majority of the fans were. The way the Yankee Stadium was set up, where it wasn't, you know, like a regular soccer stadium. You're still in it. And uh, I'm marking him, and he goes, like, makes a run out in front of the goal to, like, get a short corner, right? So I run all the way with him, right? I'm with him. Wherever he goes, I'm going with him. Right. And uh, he stops. And he's now facing the goal next to the guy who's about to take the corner or play it to him. And he just starts to run. So I backpedal, right? And and then he stops and he goes, because he had me like a puppet, right? He was like, woo, woo. Hey, hey, pulling you on a string. The crowd, the crowd was totally cracking up because he, he was – he was winding me up. He was like, okay, because he knew I was with, like, wherever he went, I was with the guy, right? So he he did this just so I, and then then he did it again. The people were, like, hysterical. And I'm like, I don't care. He could have done that 80 more times. Right. And I was yeah. going to do it because he was not getting away, right? So, and he did it. He didn't do it in a mean way. He was an entertainer. He was entertaining the people. He was, you know. At my expense, maybe, but it's cool. Then another time, he goes to the side to get water. Right, the ball gets in the stands. It's, just, it's like one of them kind of breaks, but not a break. Yeah, and um, calls the guy over. The guy brings him water, and I'm standing literally on the field. He's 
right there near the, their bench by the dugout. And the guy brings him a water. And I'm watching him. And, you know, because he does stuff. He's down tying his shoe. And you go, and then you look and he's gone, right? Like he did. <laughs> right. He had Rafty. every way to get free because he had two or three guys that would cover him on a regular basis, right? Wow. So he, his individual ability to change speed, deceive who he was marking was amazing. Like that alone was a soccer education. So yeah. uh, he drinks his water. He hands it back to the guy, you know, the guy on the bench that was helping. And yeah. uh, he, he asked the guy for another one. The guy kind of looks at him, gives him water. He turns to me and goes, do you, you like water? <laughs> he was thirsty, right? So I'm like, yeah, actually, I'm a little thirsty, right? You know what I mean? It was kind of yeah. like a, 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 and I think because he knew I wasn't kicking him, and some of my players were like encouraging me to, you know, like, right, take right. And and that just wasn't who I was, not who my coaches when I was a youth uh, right. taught me, and my mom wouldn't have it, right? So, um, so it was like. It was special. And then Giorgio was scoring a few goals. Like, Giorgio was really having a field day. And Pele hadn't scored yet since I've been marking him, right? Right. And then he hits a bicycle kick. That, <laughs> That's that right. He's like, very famous. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's in the book. Actually, the book has a QR code. You can scan in different places, and the book takes you to the videos, right? Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. Any, anyway, so he hits the bicycle kick. And, you know, in most times, I, I actually remember this. I know it's terrible, but when I was playing in Louisville, we were playing against Milwaukee, and a kid hit a bicycle kick. At the top of the box, it like bounced out. Someone, the goalie boxed it out, and the goalie and the player up upside down bicycle kick, and it sailed into the ninety. And I was on the field, right, and we were going to shift after, and I was like clapping on my way off. It was against us. You got to give it up, yeah. And yeah the general manager went nuts. He fined me a hundred bucks, which was a lot of money at that time. Yeah, that's why you like, made for that game. How dare you? I go, listen, not for anything, bro, but you don't understand soccer like I understand. This was a masterpiece. He deserved a clap, my friend. Not this, you know what I mean? That's what the sport is about. Those people, I mean, they were up for five minutes cheering the guy, right? You know what I mean? Right. It so, was. Tommy, Tommy, this is great stuff. Um, and we're going to have to wrap it up, but uh, I could talk to you all day. We haven't even scratched a lot of the yeah. stuff that's in there. And and also knowing you a bit, I, I know there's another book in you. So get going on that because, you know, playing with Pele at that moment in your life was validation for all the hard work that you had done. Uh, and you could have ended it right there and walked off the, the pitch and said, okay, I'm, I'm done and dusted. This has been fantastic. But your ride continues after that uh, as an ambassador to the game. And, um, you know, when I played against you when you were at Louisville, um, I always wanted to be a player you didn't want to play against, but you wanted to have a beer with afterwards. And you were that guy. Uh, Thank you and, very much. You know, one thing I will say is, one thing I will say is that uh, you played with joy. Uh, you were fun to be around, even when we were going at it. Uh, it was, uh, and it's, you, you just spoke to it now about the, the love of the game and how we tried to spread the word and how we all found ourselves up in this, this rarefied air with all these great stories. And, uh, 
yeah, you you were the guy we wanted to have a beer with at the end of the game. So uh, it's such a great and we did by the way. There. And we did. We had a few for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> In I cold Midwestern winters, man. Um, I want to have a beer with you because I have a million more questions. So maybe I'll call you off the air. Yeah. Well, awesome. Tommy, Absolutely. Tommy, we got to have you back on for sure because okay. I'd okay. love to hear some more of these stories. And I don't know if you know, I have a website. It's soccertom.com. Not, not okay. soccer.com, but soccertom.com. And oh, one word. get a book there. And if they want to know anything about me, it's pretty much there, how to get to me or whatever. And I, I can't thank you guys enough. Everybody loves your show. All my friends that I talk to all listen and watch. And, and thank you guys for doing this and putting the word out on, on our wonderful sport. You got Thanks, it, Tom. Tom. Great getting you, buddy. All right, thank man. You guys. We'll talk to you again. See you, Tom. Ah, that was enjoyable, man. It's a trip down memory lane for me, for sure, Dave. I, we could, have, we got to have him back because I could have talked to him all, all day. Yeah, that's he. We could have been chatting for twenty four hours straight. I mean, so many familiar names on the local level and on the national level. Again, just a part of the annals of history, uh, as far as soccer is concerned in this country. Yeah, and the young, the young ones forget, and uh, we, you know, we we sound like old men when we say it because we are. But to such humble beginnings, uh, to see where the game is now, and and uh, Tommy Mulroy was a big part of getting the game to where it is today. So it's a great book, and what I loved about it was basically he talks about the humble beginnings, the early part of his life, and how uh, you know he built that intestinal fortitude, the strength. Uh, and like I said, at the end of the Imenu, I said, he's, he's got another book in him because he's, I, I know 10 stories about Tommy Mulroy that didn't even come up. So we got, we got to have him back. He's a heck of a character and a great memory with Pele. Uh, I have, I've, I've told this story on over the ball before, but, uh, Dave, do you have a, a, a Pele story? Just remembering how he was almost single-handedly responsible for filling giant stadium with 80,000 people to so many games. And he, it's funny, he started off playing in New York at Randall's Island, which is uh, really, uh, <laughs> you know, not a very uh, lavish setting. And bad as the Oval. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, again, the stories can go on and on about Pele. Yeah, and mine is just, you know, at a, at a camp where he pulled me out of the out of the pile. Uh, my American friend, and he pulled me out, and I did uh, back and forth passing and uh, chipping with, with Pele. And talk about being nervous. Oh, my goodness. But he was so gracious and even Tommy talking about how he got him a water the man the man knew he was an ambassador just like Tommy was an ambassador for the United States for all young people to sort of the formation of of the game in this country Pele had that all over the world you know where in Nigeria they stopped a war to 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 this to pay reverence to this man he was uh he was a, a hell of an ambassador uh for the game for the world and, and knew it so an amazing person so good stuff, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our interview. If you liked uh, the interview, uh, Tommy uh, is quite a character. Just like us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok, everything else. It really makes a difference when we're going out there marketing and trying to you know, continue to report on this game, uh, the world's game, from an American perspective. All right, everyone. That's all the time we have today. For Dave Gallego, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247.